From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. everybody. Welcome to episode six of What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist here at Square Two. And uh, I'm joined by two special guests who I will introduce in a minute. Um, just to remind everybody, the show is broadcast live here. After the show, you'll be able to pick it up on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing YouTube channel. You'll also be able to get it on the Square2 Marketing website. If you go to the bottom in the footer, there's a link to What's Wrong With Revenue, where we post all the shows after the show is over. Uh, and the show will also be on all of your favorite podcast platforms near you, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and a couple of others. You can go and pick the show up. If you are watching the show or listening to the show as a podcast, do us a favor and give us a rating if you like it. That helps us know we're on the right track, uh, and we certainly would appreciate it. If you were in attendance last week, or if you listened to the show last uh, last show, you know, today we were supposed to talk about generating revenue from customers, and um, I decided that there's something a little more pressing, so this is more of a special report type show, where I want to talk about how marketing is about to get a lot harder as privacy regulation and technology changes threaten the old marketing model. So I, I decided to do a special report type show because this is moving kind of quickly and uh, I wanted to share it with you. I brought Kristen and Bob along with me. Kristen is the uh, Director of Client Services and COO at Square Two. Kristen, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> And Bob is our content director at Square Two. Uh, Bob, you can also say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so I brought these two experts along with me to have a fairly broad conversation about what some of these changes mean. If you're a CEO or a CMO or a CRO, what should you be looking for? Um, I do have questions. And by the way, if you wanna ever ask questions, you can submit a question on the show page on our website. You can also submit questions if you're listening live at the bottom of the Zoom meeting. There's a place for Q&A. If you pop it in there, one of us will pick it up, and we are more than happy to answer your questions live on the show. Um, the backstory here. So Apple recently changed some of their privacy uh, uh, policies, and it got me thinking about other policy changes that might be coming along. Uh, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to now degrade my entire industry, uh, marketers, we've really just done a horrible job protecting people's privacy, we've done a horrible job not taking advantage of the tools that have been given to us, uh, and some people like to say marketers ruin everything, well, we're well on that path here again, uh, because of our irresponsibility, Apple has rolled out some changes, which we'll talk about in detail. But my bigger concern is what's coming next. And, uh, you know, in, in, instead of earning people's attention, we've tried to buy people's attention. We've tried to sneak into people's attention streams. And now companies are responding. Um, if you're following the news at all, it looks like Facebook is eventually at some point probably going to be regulated because of their abuses the, their platforms, algorithms are, are not helping, they're hurting, at least in listening to the testimony. I'm certainly no expert in this, but in what I've read and listened, it seems like they're looking at some significant issues going forward. And I'd like to basically challenge the industry and say marketing really has to get their act together and you have to get it together quickly and stop trying to game the system 
and start trying to publish content that earns people's respect, earns their attention in an authentic and empathetic way, we have to start, we have to stop trying to just simply generate leads for leads sake and start really trying to attract high quality sales opportunities to the companies that we work for. And in our case, the companies that hire us, it's a real mindset. And what I'm asked Bob and Kristen to join me to talk about today is their perspectives on it. They work with clients all day long and they understand what clients are asking for and they understand the, the changes that are coming down the pike. So um, we'll talk about that for most of the show today. And um, I do have some questions that I will intersperse over the course of the next you know, 55 minutes or so. So thanks for joining us. I'm hoping this is an interesting show for all of you. And let's just kick off, Kristen, I know you did a little research on this, so I'm going to go to you first. Um, so tell us, what did Apple do over the past, I know it, it didn't happen like yesterday, but over the past couple months, what are some of the changes that Apple did and how does it impact companies when they start to think about their, their marketing tactics? Sure. So the, the one thing that has already rolled out to the general public and uh, is and your Apple iPhone update. You can update uh, your operating system to an iOS 15. You have not been forced to do that yet, but if you go into your settings, you can then choose to, to do so. And with that update comes new privacy features and options for users to opt out of uh, certain information that's being collected uh, about them. So a couple of main, main things that's going to happen as users opt in, one, this only uh, impacts Apple Mail users, and those are Apple Mail users make up about 10% of the email using population. Um, however, um, I am not an Apple Mail user, but I am an iCloud Plus user, and I did update my operating system on my iPhone, and while using uh, and browsing, I did notice that I have the available features that Apple Mail users also have. So right. So let me let me just take a, a break there, right? So it now, and I understand what you're saying because obviously you and I talked about this before the show, but it looks like it's actually going to affect more than 10%, yeah. right? Because yeah. you are an Apple phone user who now has access to some of these tools, even though you're not an Apple Mail user, correct? Yep, correct. Right. So, so do we know, do, Bob, maybe you, you're trying to comment. Do we know about what percentage of yeah. the population is affected by this? Uh, according to some numbers, it's close to half. Right. And, and let me get, so let me spell that out a little bit. So uh, I had the same impression uh, that Kristen, you know, Kristen laid out as Apple mail. It, it's a term that can maybe a little bit ambiguous and it gives the impression that maybe it's attached. This, this applies to people that have like an at Apple type account. And it's not necessarily the case. So um, if you have an iPhone or an iPad and you use the client and the Apple client for mail, so you go in and you hit the envelope to access your Gmail, to access uh, whatever email you use, um, you uh, can opt into this privacy setting as well, which, which I did this morning. So um, that's, uh, that's part of why it's somewhat of a, a big deal is because this can affect Gmail users if they decide to go in through that Apple client on their iPhone, iPad, Mac, whatever you're using, it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's pretty significant. Yes. Great. So go, go ahead, Kristen, keep, keep going. Yeah. So what are those updates? Um, one of the main updates, one of the main things that's happening is um, as soon as mail is sent, all Apple Mail users, the, that mail will automatically be opened, whether they physically went in, opened, and read or not. So uh, right off the bat, from an email marketing marketing perspective, you're not going to have clear insights, or you're not going to have transparency into actual user engagement and open rates in your email. Right. So, so let, let's let's talk about that for a second. Right. So we do a lot of email marketing for clients, and open rates are generally maybe twenty. 25%, maybe on a good campaign, you could be looking at 30 or, or 35%. But I think what you're saying is people could see super high open rates now, a big spike in open rates that would not really be indicative of the actual open, meaning their, their prospect didn't actually read the email. Apple opened it for them in order to make sure it was scr scrubbed properly or something. 
and it's now artificially bumping up email open rates, correct? Correct. Right. So if we're running email marketing campaigns, what that really means is we can't really use the open rate as a measure of success anymore. Correct. Okay, great. So keep going. Uh, another thing that's going to happen with that is they're going to mask uh, things such as location. So if you, through your email platform, are using time zone sends to send your emails out at times that you feel are going to be the best way to reach your audience, that's, again, no longer going to be an option for you. You're not going to have insight into that information. Right. So if we're running a campaign and it's you know global or or national in nature, and we really want that email to get delivered at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, there are a lot of features in HubSpot and other email marketing can set it up to send based on time zone. So as opposed to everybody getting it all at once and them looking at it instantly, the systems stagger out the sends so that they arrive at two o'clock in the afternoon, regardless of where people are located. That feature also is now no longer going to work, correct? Correct. Okay. So you're really going to have to know your audience and you're going to, it's going, you can still segment by time zone based right. on the context that you know, right. but um, it's not going to be an automatic feature that's available. Got it. Um, then the big one uh, that is, is, uh, available to users is the hide my email function. Uh, so uh, this allows you to basically create a fake email. And as you're going through websites and information and you would like to access some piece of content or a discount rate, uh, but you don't want that organization to know really who you are and you're not willing to give up your actual email address, you can create a fake email address, put it in, then that Piece, whatever information you were hoping to get will be sent to that fake email address. You'll be able to access that on Apple Mail. You uh, through Apple, you'll be able to keep that fake email address, I believe, for as long as you want, and that can collect all of the uh, information from these organizations that you didn't really want to know. You were, and you can get rid of those fake emails whenever. Uh, so the implication there is, and this is just the the starting point and the tip of the iceberg is. Uh, you can no longer rely on your beginning of the buyer journey, uh, lead generation, conversion out of the gate type information metrics, because you're going to start collecting junk information. You're going to junk up your database. You're not going to know what's real, what's not real. Um, you're going to have to be very careful about when and how you ask for user information. It's going to have to be a, at a point when people are going to be want to be truly engaged with your organization for something enough to be able to raise their hand and actually give up information, their true identity. Right. Uh, so again, let's like dig into that last point because it's very significant. You're saying that when I collect an email address in exchange for some content, that email address might not be accurate at all, right? Yep. It might actually, I may be filling up my contact database with a bunch of bogus email addresses. So again, I might be looking like, oh, well, this is amazing. I got a thousand new email addresses this month. You know, maybe up to half of them might actually be these aliases that you're talking about, right? right. And if I continue to market to them, it's not getting through, correct? Is that is that going to be, again, like arbitrarily open? So it'll look like someone opened it, but it's not going anywhere. And right. I'll have really no way to know whether these are aliases or actual email addresses. So the, the, my, my uh, reliance on my database or my, my uh, confidence in my contact database is going to drop pretty dramatically, pretty quickly, I would think, right? Yes, has the potential for that. Okay, happening. okay, right. Now, let, before we, you're, you're starting to talk a little bit about like what we might wanna do about it, which I think is good. But before we do, I wanna ask Bob about this other change that, that that has been talked about for a while, but it's kind of in the same genre as, as what Kristen talked about, the, the idea of a cookie-less world, right, Bob? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like cookies, yeah. We're yeah, okay. Cookies. So <laughs> tell, tell, the, the, tell our subscribers a little bit about like how the cookie works and what marketers do with the cookie and what some of the browser companies are talking about doing with the cookie that would impact other other areas of marketing? Yeah, so 
really try to distill this down and, and keep it simple. Cookie, think of it just as a little, little pixel, a little invisible pixel that is included on a, a website uh, that when you visit it, you pick it up, it tracks some of your activity. And, um, you know, cookies are used, the term cookies are used kind of broadly, but you can think of it um, the way marketers often use it is between first party data and there's also third party data. So first party would be everyone that visits your website, you can use those cookies uh, to retarget. So, hey, uh, somebody visited my pricing page. I'd love to send, show them an ad on Instagram and remind them like, hey, you were here, don't forget about us, or perhaps show them an offer for a demo. Mm -hmm. Third party would be, um, it's the one that's a bit more controversial, right? Uh, it's that it's uh, data, cookies are, uh, the data is collected through cookies on somebody else's site other than your own. And marketers, businesses always often use, uh, purchase that data in order to get lists to reach out to people in a very cold, unsolicited type way. Um, so Mike, uh, you were looking at, um, you know, umbrellas for your, your new deck. And uh, we know that you hit this site and somebody wants, you know, Lowe's wants to buy it to be able to show you other information about things that were right for your deck. But you never, you know, uh, interacted with Lowe's, but somehow right. you're still getting your inbox filled up or you're getting ads for it. And uh, Google has said that they want to basically eliminate at the very least third party. There's some discussion about will they will be able to maintain first party so people that visit your site and interact with you, you can continue to communicate on some level. But third party data would go out the window, which would really uh, limit um, some companies' uh, uh, ability to, to market to, to audiences that um, are potential buyers, but they've never really communicated with but, I mean, I'll go off a bit here. I also think that, you know, that's maybe a bit welcome uh, mm -hmm. as yeah. well. Yeah. Also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, hasn't Safari threatened to eliminate first party cookie placement also? So like the the whole idea of cookies on Safari might actually not, not be a thing either, right? Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, so I mean, it's, I, I'll go on, Kristen. Yes, Safari uh, owned by Google. I'm sorry, Apple. Apple, right. <laughs> uh, is, uh, yes, putting more privacy controls in place, right? And Google and Apple do not see eye to eye on privacy. And uh, they're talking, a lot is going to be sorted through in the coming months and, and, and years, but uh, there might be scenarios they're saying that you can uh, download or, or buffer content on a Google browser, but it's not going to on a Safari browser because mm -hmm. they're going to dramatically change how they um, operate. But yes, right. Safari is tight, more tight with their security features. Yeah, and, and there are marketing ramifications for this cookie, cookie-less world also. For instance, you know we're big HubSpot fans. A lot of our clients use HubSpot and HubSpot has provided a remarkable experience for people who visit a website more than once. So if I go to one of my clients' websites and I give them some of my information, when I come back, I don't have to give them that same information again. They call it smart, smart forms, right? So, you know, if I filled out a form once and I come back, I don't have to fill out the form again. It already knows who I am. And, and it might be asking me for more information to get to know me better, but the way it knows who I am is because it put a cookie on, on my browser the, the last time I was there. And when I come back, it doesn't have to ask me for my name again and my title and my company. It's already, the form is filled in for me. Again, making it easier for me to interact with that company, making it easier for me to provide more information, helping the company get to know me better. Hopefully the company's using that information to personalize my experience when I come back again. Not everybody uses it like that, but Without the cookie, I am going to have to fill out that form again. Correct. It'll be interesting, Mike, because you know. So Apple has already done some things with you know, even with the prior release of their last you know iOS, uh, like four, I think it was fourteen point eight or something along those lines, where when you go into certain apps, say you go into Instagram or Facebook, it'll ask you, do, you know, do you give them permission to track your activity? And so 
they are offering options there to, to let you know you can protect your privacy. Or if you like the experience, like I, I think Mike and I, we've had this conversation of like, um, I like the experience of actually being on Instagram and being served up some things that I, I never knew about products, services that I would never well, you only, on my own. You only like it until it's abused. Until right? it's abused, right. Right, right. Like I but, accidentally clicked on some, some healthy beet juice products and I'm now inundated with these red juices made from beets yeah. that I'm, are supposed to be super healthy for me. Like there, there is a little bit of, there's a lack of oversight I think specifically at Instagram when it comes to how these ads are getting served. Yeah, I, I have noticed the, you know, do you like this ads? You can tell them, but yeah, at the very least though, I know there is, there's effort going forward to try and give people the option of opting in or opting out based on the experience. And I, I think that's a big part, you know, Mike, when you talk about, uh, um, you know, marketers abusing these technologies and these strategies and these tactics, you know, for me, you know, my reaction when I heard Apple rolling out these plans before they implemented them was, well, right on, you know, it's, it's about time because I am very much, you know, uh, uh, you know, we discussed earlier, I'm a bit of a contrarian, I'm a marketer, yes, but I'm always an advocate for user first. And so while I know a lot of marketers are, you know, kind of feeling very uh, frustrated about what could be coming down the line, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. I honestly, I honestly do because, um, we have filled up, you know, as you've mentioned many times, we've filled up email boxes with junk. We filled up feeds with just things people don't care about. Um, it's, we're communicating with ways that are not very creative or not very personal or warm. And as a result, even like really strong marketing that people might want to care about is getting pushed out. Yeah. And so yeah. I think all of this, you know, my, my feeling right off the bat was that like, all right, well, this is, you know, kind of the canary in the coal mine for a, a title change where maybe some of the user experience will come. Yes, that data privacy is huge, but I, thought, I think it also creates a better experience that helps uh, some marketers as well. Yeah, well, I, I, I would agree with that completely. I mean, I think we want to be responsible marketers. We don't, we don't want to be, you know, spamming people just to use like a very, like easy to understand vernacular, right? So we don't, we don't want to be inundating people with with ads that they haven't asked for or information that they haven't asked for um i'm uh, you know uh I, I still think back to you know 2000 2008 2009 when when hubspot published their inbound marketing book uh, you know we have we had been practicing inbound here at square two for a long time we didn't know it had a name we didn't really know what we were doing but we were very anti-ad we were very much about earning somebody's attention through through good content and a great website experience and then you know solid follow-up that people had asked for I have to admit you know I was I was very uh, excited about the idea of inbound I, I actually was hoping and and thought in, incorrectly at least I haven't been proved correct yet I was I was really thinking that that was going to kind of replace the bad advertising and the bad marketing that I, I didn't like. I mean, I'm a, you, you know, this about me. I don't watch commercials on television. I don't listen to commercials in the radio. I, my, I have ad blockers running on my browser and on my phone. You know, people have found a way around that, some of that technology, but I was really hoping that the technology and the movement would, would become the de facto way people marketed their businesses and I also, you know, again, full transparency, I was very disappointed when HubSpot kind of took their foot off the gas around inbound and they allowed paid advertising on their platform. They promoted account-based marketing. They, they kind of, you know, punted a little bit on, on what inbound used to be in its pure format, earn attention instead of buy attention. They, they punted a little bit that and, and inbound has lost a lot of momentum. It's not what it used to be as a practice, as a methodology. It's now something people kind of talk about casually, but don't really practice much anymore. And I know, I know some of the challenges of inbound. It takes, it takes longer, you know, earning attention is hard. Buying attention is easier, right? You know, um, uh, HubSpot executives used to tell me it's about the size of your brain and not the size of your wallet. And, and today there's plenty of money to go around to, to help companies try to buy people's attention. 
and it's it subverted the 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 pureness of inbound and i'm kind of disappointed and i've been disappointed for a long time well if i could just add one point to that so sure, go ahead. right in in the early days of inbound it worked uh, much more effectively, right? Because there wasn't as much noise in the market. So, but then people started to catch on and, and started to understand search and creating content was important. And it got really noisy and uh, very hard to find your way in. And then- yeah, not, not only, not only, you're absolutely right. That's 100% correct. Not only that, but if you think about the timing when inbound came around, it was the recession. And people did not have massive budgets for marketing. They were being very cautious about what they were spending. And the message really resonated. And today, I mean, it is a, you know, it, it's a shit show. People are throwing money at everything and anything in an attempt to, to drive revenue and get their marketing to work. And, you know, when that's the case, like, oh, I'll try this. I'll try that. Here's some money here. Put some money there. The budgets that clients are, are applying to these different uh, channels is not, the same, they're not spending money in the same way they did back in 2008 and 2009. I think that's contributing to this. Let's throw a bunch of stuff up against the wall and see what sticks kind of mentality. Well, yes, because uh, one, it became hard. Inbound was never a short-term thing. And right. then the digital age brought kind of a sense of instant gratification, right. which doesn't matter if you're digital age or old school age or what age. Marketing is an integral part of who you are as an organization. And it is not a short-term thing, and it's not something, it's not a magic wand that's just going to all automatically get you results, but with digital and the insights into analytics and the ability to see uh, in real time what is going on, uh, the, the, the shift in mentality went towards, uh, but this should be working for me within two two months or three right. months. And right. it's, it's, pre it's pretty, I think, you know, just to, to add on what you're saying there, Kristen, um, yeah, I, I we all have become digital junkies to a certain degree. And there is a, a bit of instant gratification on the front end and on the back and on the front end, technology and, you know, some of the things that we're discussing here and that, you know, Apple is going to be mitigating are, it, 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 Apple won't be alone. This is, this is one domino to fall. Like it's more becoming, but it's allowed you to do hyper, hyper targeting, like and just say, I want to get in front of, you know, Mike Lieberman. Well, you can, <laughs> like, I can get you right in front of him with whatever you want, if you've got the money, like Mike's saying. And on the, so you can get it right in front of, and you expect that instant gratification to set up a conversation or have a call, you know, uh, to, uh, you know, within a very short amount of time and not earn it. And on the backside, you can see in real time, like, did Mike open this email? Why didn't he yeah. open this email? How much, how right. much time did he spend on the page I created? Right, right, and it's right. that kind of targeting has created, yeah, that this mentality that it doesn't have to necessarily be good. It just has to be delivered right in there, like a smart, you know, a smart bomb to get right there and, and we'll have Mike, you know, hook, line and sinker. Right. But unfortunately you guys know this, you know, not every, not all the, uh, subscribers might know this, but getting that ad delivered is not the end of the game, right? A lot yeah. of people feel like that's the objective is deliver the ad to the person I want to see the ad mission accomplished. And I think a lot of marketers have that perspective too. And that is the mistake. So I want to trans transition the conversation to the next piece of this story. And then I'm going to, we're going to answer some questions for some people, but so to your point, Bob, marketers want to get measured on leads generated right and if i do get the right ad in front of the right person and they click on it and they come back to my website and they fill something out i've done my job right you wanted me to talk to mike lieberman i served mike lieberman an ad mike lieberman clicked the ad he came to the website he 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 like announced himself to us and here here he is right like i'm done M mission accomplished Right. And I think what we're trying to express to you, to you guys today is that flow that I just described there is going to go away, right? And on top of that, did that really help you? Like the name of the show is What's Wrong With Revenue? Did that really help you grow revenue by having a sales rep pick me up and try to sell me something when I'm not ready to be sold to? More so am I not ready? I'm literally not interested. I don't want to talk to a sales rep. The last thing I want is a sales rep to call me just because I filled something out on your website. I did nothing 
to signal I'm ready to talk to a salesperson. And this is, you know, Bob, maybe to your point, this is kind of the silver lining here is marketers are not going to be able to run that playbook anymore. And what they're going to have to do is find a way to deliver the sales ready lead, the person that does want to talk to a sales rep. So what are they going to have to do now? And how are they, how is the playbook going to change for marketers to deliver the sales ready lead, the person who is ready to talk to sales? What, what are they going to have to do? Yeah. You know, just to take that back, you know, a sentence or two, like those were always, uh, you know, we, we all sort of used lead gen tactics like that. And maybe, uh, you know, faithfully thinking that they, they, it was good, but it, you look at it now and you're like this, they're kind of vanity metrics, right? They justify your activities, your actions. You have to go to your boss. You're like, look how many leads I got. But to your point, nobody ever stopped and just said, even though we're all people and we all shop and we all buy things, nobody ever stopped and just said, boy, what an awful experience it is to go in and fill out a lead to get a tip sheet or, oh my God, do you want me to fill out a form for a case study where you tell me how great you are? Like seriously, right. what an what a awful experience, what, what irrational thinking. So you can go back and just say, look, I've got this lead. And then sales is gonna reach out to me because I read one piece of content and just say, you ready to make a deal? No, I'm, I'm not. So what does it have to do? I think it, you know, it requires, uh, you know, a, what we're talking about here, what technology and, and uh, some of what we're talking about has uh, caused people to take a lot of shortcuts. You know, Kristen had mentioned a digital age or old school. Like, I like to think that we're going into an age that's sort of like a, you know, vinyl with music, you know, where it's like digital, yes, but like a little retro as well, where it's, you know, you don't have the ability to do some of that hyper-targeting and take some of those shortcuts. And so you have to put in the work to do more storytelling, more messaging, better creative, get people's attention over a longer span of time. And it's, it's not that immediate gratification, but you know what? It never was because when you came with that NQL, it was garbage for sales and you did a disservice to your customers, your prospects, your sales team, your company, because you were just collecting empty, you know, uh, medallions of just like, look what I got. You had nothing. Yeah. You never had it. So yeah. I think it's, it gets back to like, what are you gonna have to do? You're gonna have to put out stronger work. It's gonna re reward thoughtful, creative, intelligent marketing. Uh, you have to uh, put out content that people want to engage with over time. And when they're ready, they raise their hand. And now, now it's an opportunity that sales can actually talk to and close. There'll be fewer of them, but the, the quality of them will be so high that you just have to bring them over the finish line. You know, it's something you've talked about a lot with the buyer journey, Mike, and, and just, you know, the, when you allow people to kind of go through the education process by, by providing with the right assets and quality assets, they come to you, you know, like almost a fully formed customer. Yeah. So I want to get to a question, but let me just kind of wrap this little segment up with a bow. And Kristen, you can comment too, if you have some color you want to add to this. So I think the answer is what do we need to do differently? I'd like to think square two is modeling what we have to do a little differently, right? We, we have this show available in a variety of formats placed in a variety of places where our prospects and customers or friends, followers, anyone who's interested can go and get it without us asking for anything, right? right. I think that's the first move is to stop thinking about the content you're publishing as something that you are trading for contact information. I think you have to start thinking about smart educational content in the right format that you're planning on sharing with the world. And if it's good quality, people will be attracted to it and they will be attracted to your brands and they will be interested potentially, if they are interested enough, they'll know how to get in touch with you, right? If you go to the Square Two website, there's a big green, I think it's green, Bob, you probably know, there's a big green button at the top of the page that says, let's meet, right? So, you know, if, if someone listens to this and they're like, wow, those guys are pretty pretty sharp and what they're saying is interesting and I'm having some similar kinds of issues at my company, like, I think I'd like to talk to them. They'll know how to get in touch with us and they'll know how to schedule a call with us, right? We don't have to ask them to do anything else other than stop by, and, and, and present themselves. It should be very easy to get in touch with us. The other thing I think that people should be aware of is 
you're going to have to work harder in the middle and the end of the buyer journey. And what I mean by that is you're going to have to do things differently to get people to give you their real information, right? And, and here, here's a couple examples of that. So uh, we, we had a webinar recently with a partner of ours, and they, they offered a $10 reward card to, to attend the webinar. Well, if you give a fake email address, you can't get the incentive. Now, they're an incentive company, so the incentive makes sense for that particular piece of content. But, you know, if we're offering to share the video at a webinar, if we're offering to share the slides, if we're offering to do something post-webinar of value to the people that attended, they can't come with aliases. They have to come with their real contact information, right? Same thing at the end of the buyer journey. If we're going to be doing a content audit or a website audit or a sales process audit, they can't pretend to be somebody they're not. They, and, and no one would waste their time if they're not really interested in that value. They wouldn't waste their time signing up for those audits or those assessments or those grades anyway, right? So if they're serious about getting that value from us, and they want to invest the time and they really want to learn, they're going to present with their honest selves. But if we don't have good offers at, for, for, to attract those people at that stage, then they're, they're not going to have anything to interact with us with. So, you know, I think there's a couple of significant changes that people can make to their marketing and their sales execution to add more value to get people to want to interact with you when they are serious about talking to you, you know, like the demo is a great example. I've talked about this a lot. Like software companies love the demo as that late stage buyer journey offer. Well, if someone wants a demo, they must be interested. Well, that's probably true, but it might not be as true as they think it is because a lot of people view the demo as a sales call. Well, I'm not ready to talk to a salesperson yet. So I'm not going to sign up for a demo. And that's kind of a problem for the software company. But it's also a problem for the prospect because they might be looking to get something from the relationship, but they're just not ready to be sold to. So they're not signing up for the demo. Other offers besides the demo could potentially ferret out some sales ready opportunities that people want to talk. They want to learn more. They, they want to speak with someone, but I don't want to be sold to. I want a, a fair exchange of information. I want you to get to know me a little bit better. I want you to help me with my decision. I want to feel safe with your company. And then, you know what? That was all pretty cool. Like, okay, schedule a demo. I'm now ready to see the software. So hopefully that's helpful to everybody. I, I want to take a question because we're now 37 minutes into this and I want to make sure we handle some questions. So I got some good ones. Um, this, is a, this is one because I think a lot of people feel like this. The question is from... Uh, Marty in California. This seems more B2C to me than B2B. Is this really something we need to be worried about? So either of you guys, I mean, Kristen, Bob's talked a lot. Kristen, what do you, what do you think? Is this like a, is this like something that like, you know, B2C companies need to worry about because it's consumers are more protective of their information or, or is this something that's going to affect everybody? No, this is going to affect everybody. Uh, B2C certainly, but B2B as well. I mean, how do you how do you target? How do you reach your your target persona? How do you get in front of, of that person? Um, everybody should be thinking about this. Even as a B2B organization, you have long sales cycles and you need to make sure that you have the opportunity to provide information throughout education, engage, and bring them along. People don't to Mike's point, he just said, doesn't don't want to talk to a sales rep early on. They want to do their due diligence and their research, and they have for a long time uh, before they ever, you know, announce themselves. Um, so this is definitely something that all organizations should be thinking about. Yeah, I don't think this is a B two C or a B two B issue. I think this is kind, of, and I've always my position has always been you know, while Square2 does work with a lot of B2B companies, marketing is not a B2B or a B2C or a B2G if you sell to the government. It, it's none of those things. And if people are telling you that it's different when you're mark to, marketing to a company versus marketing to a person, a consumer, I think that's completely wrong. I, I've always viewed our business as a, a B2P, right? It, we are marketing to people, 
right? Those people might work at companies. Those people might be individual consumers with families. Those people might have government jobs. Those people might have nonprofit jobs. It doesn't matter. We have to get a person to interact with us from a marketing perspective. People do business with people. They don't do business with companies. If I don't like the person that is representing that company, I'm not buying from them. And if you're not, if you don't believe that, just think about the, your experience purchasing a car. If you go into the showroom to buy a car and your sales rep is a, 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 not someone you trust, you're walking out of there, whether you love those cars, whether the, the, that company spent a bazillion dollars on advertising, whether the showroom offers coffee in Danish, uh, whether they're going to give you a loaner or not, if you don't trust the person that's selling you that car, you're never buying a car from them. So if you think this is a B2B thing or a B, if you think it's a B2C thing and not a B2B thing, it is not. This is something that everybody has to get prepared for or else you will be left behind. You will, you will not be able to get in touch with your prospects. You will not be able to engage with them. You will not be able to, to fill up the pipeline for your sales reps you will be in a real world of hurt if you don't think this applies to you. I think Mike, uh, just, just uh, because I think it was a really great thing what you said there about the B2P part. I think the most harmful thing businesses have done have, have, have been thinking of B2B and they, they look at it as marketing to entities and not, and not people. And it, it really, I think it really impacts the uh, connection you're able to create with people and how you go out and interact with them by, by not realizing that B2C, B2B, it's your people. We're all going through like similar experiences and you have to approach it that way and not think of it like, well, we're different because it's, you know, an enterprise that I'm doing. Yeah. I'll make one other point and then we'll, we'll do a couple more questions. I, I, I have also said publicly that even though we might run B2B businesses, the people that we want to engage with us are having a lot of positive B2C experiences in their personal life. So if you think about the experience you now get from Amazon, if you think about the experience you now get from the streaming services, if you think about the experience you get from companies like Warby Parker or uh, help me out, Bob, other really good companies that understand this, that have kind of broken down the old barriers associated with, with the way things used to be. Like insurance is another good one, right? No one ever bought insurance online before they came along and they did such a good job at it. Allstate literally had to buy them, right? So these companies are training us. They're training us to expect a much stronger, more personal and empathetic digital experience. Like when I go to buy something now, if I can't get next day delivery, I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed. And who taught me that? Amazon taught me that. They taught me that I can get something, I can go to my phone today and have it pop in front of my door tomorrow. And the payment process is easy and the shipping process is easy. They remember me. I can keep track of my order. I'm getting constant notifications that things are on their way or things have been delivered. And, you know, that I, I now expect that from everybody I order from. And when I don't get it, I, I'm annoyed. I, I, it's funny, I, had, I was thinking the exact same thing. We ordered furniture and hey, it's, it's on back order from uh, Bob's furniture. We, yeah. you know, I get a, a, we get a text every week of this is what's going on. Here's when it's coming. I, I'm not, it's not even two days before it arrives. I, it's nonstop communication and clarity and it's so nice. And those companies that embrace it, uh, B2B, B2C, B2G, are going to be uh, are going to win in the end because we especially in the last two years with all of us you know a lot of us being at home we're not out and about as much we've become used to this experience of you know uh, I can order things online I get it I get clear communication and um, it's it's just become the standard going forward yeah can I just make one comment yeah yeah sure go ahead so there's two parts to this too so there's the whole privacy this is the delivery and the tactical way that we provide an experience in the digital space. And we need to make sure that that experience is great. But then the whole other side of this too is back to Bob's point of thoughtful, intelligent, creative marketing. What is that? And to the Mike, the brands that you were just talking about from a B2C perspective, Amazon, Warby Parker, what have you. 
they're authentic to why why they started as a business in the first place. They were solving for a need in the marketplace, right? And and then their communication, the experience, everything collectively is a reflection of what they what they are all about at their core. And I think even for B two B organizations, B two C, what sometimes that's really hard to to lose in the fight for marketing eyes and and the fight to to get found and to be seen. And and you hear people say, well, just put more content out. That will help your search engine optimization. And that's not the truth. Like content is part of that. And you have to make sure that you're visible and you have things for people to engage with, but it has to be a true representation of of what you are about as a business. And in in a way then going to be to connecting the people that's going to connect to the people that that you want to engage with. Right. It also, it also comes, you know, I know we talk about strategy a lot, but, you know, again, like if we're going to be creating this experience, we need marketing, we need sales, and we need customer service to be completely aligned. Right. I, I had an experience with some outdoor furniture that I ordered where the marketing was awesome. The sales was awesome. And the service piece of it has been mediocre. Yeah. And, um, I can see what they're trying to do on the service side of things, but the execution is just not as strong as it was on the marketing and on the sales side. And it is, it is ruining my opinion of this company. And, and prior to the delivery side of things, I was telling everybody how great the experience has been. I, I love the marketing. I love the, I loved how they interacted with me from a sales perspective. They were very accommodating to my challenging issues on when to buy and what to buy and sizing and all those things. And they really kind of dropped the ball in the last mile. Now I know it's not all, it's not completely their fault, logistic challenges and trucking and whatever, but still we're an unforgiving group of consumers. And I expect these companies to have worked these issues out. If you're having trouble with, with delivery, find another option and, and live up to your promise to me or else I am not going to feel good about recommending you to my friends and family. And, and that, is the, that is what's at stake here. And I, I'm not sure companies really understand what's at stake when it comes to figuring this experience out and using digital to create a remarkable set of touches from the very first time someone hears about you or lands on your website to the, the, to the, to the post-delivery, how did we do who can you recommend me to? Would you write me a five-star review on, on one of these sites? Would you buy again? Can I sell you some other stuff in a couple months after you've settled into your purchase? I'm just not sure there are many companies that really understand how to, how to do this and do it well and, and what's at stake. I don't think they really understand what's at stake. I think they feel like, well, everyone in our industry is pretty mediocre with this. We don't have to worry about it. We got bigger fish to fry. Uh, We'll get around to that ne- next week or next month or next quarter or next year. And they're making a tragic, they're making a tragic yeah. mistake because like the names of the companies we rattled off, they did take the bull by the horns and they did create a remarkable experience and they got tons of traction and, and really drove growth in their company. And this show is about what's wrong with revenue. Honestly, folks, this is what's wrong with revenue. No one really understands the scope of what needs to get done to create the experience that people will talk about and will come back and will will we'll drive people to want to do business with you. Um, I want to ask a, one of these other questions here because I think some people might be in their head wondering, well, how serious is this? You guys are making this out to be like the sky is falling. And one of the questions is, what do you think the time frame is around these changes? Because look, now I'm going to hop on the other side. I've heard these kinds of these kinds of threatening. Safari was threatening to get rid of the cookie for years. You know, GDPR was something that came out over in Europe that people freaked out about. It turned out to be like a very non not not much of an issue, even for European companies. I mean, they figured a few things out with their databases and opt-in and stuff like that, and they're fine now. You know, Canada has these castle rules that were very lightweight. California rolled out these privacy and data protection rules that really had no impact on, on most of the companies. So like, really what's up here? Like, is this another, you know, fake news kind of thing that I'm supposed to like, you know, spin out of control over that won't really come into reality for 10 or 15 years down the road. Like what's the timeframe around this? 
I don't know if anyone knows for sure the time frame. I think what we do know is, you know, if I look to, this reminds me a lot of when SEO changed, <clears throat> you know, and it used to be you could rank really well by doing some simple basic shortcuts of keyword stuffing. And then Google said, people, things are going to change because we want a better user experience. We want better content. And the changes happened over time, but also very quickly, like change can happen very quickly in this age we live in. And so on the one hand, I don't know. Uh, it could be next year. It could be next six months. Like change can happen very quickly with updates to algorithms. Here's what I do know though. Forget those changes for just a moment. The things we're talking about, you should be doing anyways. <laughs> like right. it benefits you to be doing the things we're talking about. We, we as a company, as a group have been talking to our clients for quite a long time about don't be relying on MQLs. Don't put everything behind gate. Here's how you have to be thinking. Get your sales team and your marketing team in alignment. You know, and so even both that, that, and that was well in advance of anything happening with Apple or cookies because it's just best practices and it's the companies that are su successful and want to stand out. They do these things already, regardless of being forced to or not. And, but, you know, you said early on, Mike, Facebook is being regulated, uh, but things will change. And I think consumers will continue to demand uh, privacy and, and that will continue to, to roll out. But you also have Google and Facebook that I'm pretty sure are putting hundreds and hundreds of, of engineers on uh, figuring out ways to still collect data and provide targeting to advertisers in a way that's not collecting personal data. So there, it, while it will definitely change and it will definitely shift, uh, they're still on it working out ways um, to, to provide targeting. But back to Bob's point too is fully agree. Doesn't matter. <laughs> we, we need to get better at, at how we do approach marketing and do it right. I think you, you, you both make very good points. And Kristen, you're 100% you're right. These are very, very large and profitable businesses. They are going to find a way to continue to sell ads on Facebook. They are going to find a way to continue to sell ads on Google for the people that want to buy ads. Those are billion, those businesses are in the billions and they're, they're not going away for sure. Uh, however, that doesn't necessarily mean that those tactics are right for every company for every marketer for, for every situation so i think if you're if you want to put your head in the sand and not worry about this now that's one approach it's probably not an approach that is going to drive a significant amount of growth for your business it's certainly not um you know you're not going to hit a home run with that approach. You might hit a couple of singles. You might drive in a run or two, but you're not going to win the World Series with that kind of approach. If you really want to start helping your company, then you, you really have to start embracing some of these ideas that we're talking about today, specifically those ideas around understanding your prospects and your customer's buyer journey and making sure that you're serving up content that they care about, that they want to share, that they can engage with, that they will learn something from, that will make them better at their jobs, that will answer their questions. And the better job you are at that with, with early, middle, and late stage buyer journey content, the more people are going to be attracted to your company. And, and it's not just people. It, Google will send people to your company. Facebook will send people to your company. YouTube will send people to your company that is engaging with your content because it's high quality and it's in the format that they want. And they're signaling these services that, yeah, that, that was helpful to me. Give me more of that. Uh, where did it come from? Here's who it came from. Oh, let, let me check that out. So, you know, it's not as if the entire model is completely broken. There are just a set of tactics that maybe should be le used less than people are currently using them now. And there's a set of tactics that should be used more than a lot of people are currently using them now. For instance, video is one example where a lot of clients we talk to are just a little shy 
to use video. They're a little, they're a little, you know, uh, worried about how they're going to be portrayed and how they're going to look. And, you know, I, YouTube is the second largest search engine on the planet. So I think it's obvious that people are looking for video content and you have to find a way to create that. If you're not comfortable, find somebody who is. And if you don't know how to create the content, if you don't know what to talk about, if you don't know what to produce or publish, or if you don't know technically how to get that content into a format that people will digest and enjoy and share, there are plenty of people who can help you do that. And you should no longer be held back because you're afraid of it, or you've never done it before, or it's different than what you've done in the past. You have to start embracing some of these new tactics. The sooner you do it, the more comfortable you'll get, the more prolific you'll be at it, and the faster you'll be in a position to outflank your competition. Now, as an example, Square Two is in a hyper-competitive industry where all of our competitors have great websites, all of our competitors have podcasts, all of our competitors publish content, but in most of the industries that we work in with our clients, it is not even remotely the case. In most of those industries, very few people are doing what they should be doing. Companies can take get first mover advantage and those advantages are significant. So again, don't wait for the government to regulate Facebook. Don't wait for you to realize your emails are not getting delivered the way they used to. Start thinking today about what you need to do to change the way you market and sell and, and take care of customers. And if you can't do it yourself, get somebody to help you. If you can do it yourself, start doing it. I'm not saying you absolutely need somebody to help you. If you, if you want to tackle this on your own, I think everyone is, is more than equipped to do it. But by the way, like you don't have to be, you don't need fancy production equipment anymore to do videos and podcasts. Literally, literally anybody can do it. That's why there's a, there's so many people who do it now. It's so easy. You don't need a professional studio to do this. You can do it in your house. You can do it in your office. It, it's super easy to do it. So, uh, you know, my big leave, leave behind today is that you have to start figuring this out and you have to start doing your marketing in this way. You have to start looking at it differently. Like I'm a lifelong marketer. The crew here at Square Two will tell you it was painful for me to leave the MQL behind. That is how I measured everything at Square Two. That is how I measured everything in the jobs I had before I started Square Two. I'm still not completely over it, to be honest with you. I still kind of peek at what's up with that, but um, it, it's something you have to just get comfortable with. The, the sales leads, the sales opportunities, that should be the measure of how effective your, your marketing is. And there's other metrics that you can look at, but if you're not gen generating sales qualified leads and good sales opportunities for your sales team, your marketing's not working. Anything else you guys want to add? Final comments before we wrap up? Um, I just wanted to, you know, I, I think you you said it said it well, but we started this off with, you know, this is very challenging for marketers, what's coming, and it's, it can add a little bit of that doom and gloom. But I think what you've wrapped up with nicely is it's an opportunity. And the, the, it's one of the things I, I tell clients often is when they say, well, nobody else in our industry is doing this. And do we really have to, be, th that's why you should be. This is your advantage. It's your opportunity to shine. And to your point, Mike, doing something like we're doing right here, I, I don't know if like people would understand, like this does not require like, you know, fancy uh, equipment or it, it, some comfort and a little bit of training on some software, but you know, it's, it's not a studio. It's, these things can be done now fairly easily. Um, you know, you can work with people to give you guidance or bring in different talent, but it's 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 not a huge huge investment. It's it's just a commitment. Well said, Kristen. Just gonna say, be authentic. Continue to think back to why you're in business in the first place, and find creative ways to represent that. Yeah, that's good advice, and and tell a compelling story. You know, I hope you hear in our voices, we're emotionally connected to this topic. Obviously, obviously, it's what we do every day. It's what we're passionate about. But you need to find a similar platform for your businesses and be passionate about the story you're telling to your prospects as well. Thanks for attending. I really appreciate the time. You guys, if you attended the live cast, thanks for joining us. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. If you're listening on one of the uh, podcast platforms, thanks for listening. 
Uh, next week in episode seven, we're going to talk about the technology and it is playing such a prominent role. You might not actually have the right tools or technology to improve revenue across your organization. So we'll dig a little deeper into what that means, what some of the tools are. We're not advocating any particular tool, but we are telling you that it's so complex, everything that needs to be running at the same time, it's almost impossible to, to create these experiences without some tools and without some information on what's working and what's not working. So we'll cover all that next week. Thank you all for attending. Thank you all for listening and watching. And we will see you all next week. Thank you.